got a nice light topic for you today. We started this two weeks ago, but we continue. Why does God allow evil and suffering? Why does God allow evil and suffering? As we talked about on April 10th, this is on the minds of all of us. Lee Strobel, a Christian apologist, did a survey across the country, and the number one answer to the question, if you could ask God anything and get a solid answer for it, what would that question be? And that question was, why does God allow evil and suffering? This is on our hearts, it's on our minds, it's in our lives. It's things that we wrestle with. And it's good to wrestle, we need to wrestle with them. And we started that uh, wrestling match together two weeks ago, we'll continue it today. The answers to these questions are powerful. The answers to these questions are important for your life. Not for your life years in the future, for your life this afternoon, for your life tomorrow, for your life the next day. Gregory Kokel, in the book The Story of Reality, frames it, I think, pretty well. He says, the world is wounded, this we know. Answering the question how it got to be wounded requires more than a myth. It requires an accurate account of reality. This point about reality applies to every detail of the story I'm telling. The narrative is history, and if it's not, it explains nothing. The reality of this question that we need to answer together needs and requires God's word to accurately explain the reality of this history and truth. We'd be wasting our time if we looked for answers anywhere other than a starting point of God's word. What's amazing about God's word is it extends certainly back to when the world was created, but if you read carefully, it extends even beyond that. It's a history not just since the world began, it's a history back into what was happening prior to that. Even more amazing, it's not just an account of what God has ordained and said. We actually get to hear God's thoughts. Have you ever turned the director's commentary on and your DVD? You have a favorite movie and you just think, I've watched this 12 times this time. I'm going to turn that director's commentary on. And you're watching the movie, but then the director is doing this voiceover of explaining why they did this scene this way and why they decided to include this character. Have you ever done that? It's kind of an interesting perspective. Guess what? God has his director's commentary on many, many times when you read his word. You can read history books with no interpretation, but when you read God's holy word, you're not only getting an accurate, truthful account of reality, but you're actually hearing the mind of Almighty God. That's powerful. That's an opportunity. And so as we continue to look at this, it's just vital that we understand that God's opinion is the one that matters on this topic. If you'll turn to your handout, you have two sides. You have side one, which was part one. That was old news. That was back from April 10th. I just wanted you to have that so that you could review those verses again. But on the back side of that, or the front side, depending on how you want to view that, is part two, and that's today. And if you remember last week, we tackled some of the, the solid bullet points, things like our presuppositions, our presuppositions, which if you remember, were beliefs or perspectives that we held beforehand 
going into a discussion or a thought, and those presuppositions shape the approach and position that you take. Remember that? We talked about how vital it was for us to look at proper theology, look at what God truly says. And when we did that, we understood that God is the authority. We understood that men's and women's thoughts, their ideas, their opinions, they really explain nothing accurately unless they're rooted and grounded in God's truth. My opinion can be important to me, but if it's not matching up with God's truth, cast it off. Cast it off. We studied multiple verses, 23 verses, that God is good. And how often is he good? All the time. All the time. God is good. We looked at a dozen or so verses that God is all-powerful. Evil doesn't exist because God was too weak to stop it. He is in complete control, complete power. We looked at, uh, he's very good all the time. He's all powerful. Well, maybe evil snuck in without him knowing it. No. We looked at verse after verse to say that God is what? All knowing. Nothing happens in the past, in the present, even in the future. Nothing happens outside of God's knowing eye. And finally, we understand that God is sovereign. He is in control. Nothing is going to be allowed unless he allows it. And so we came to this conclusion that God is good all the time. He's all-powerful. He's all-knowing. He's in complete control. The conclusion, then, is that God must have willingly allowed evil. Why? Why? And if we start with this presupposition that, okay... God's right. He's good. He's all-powerful. He's all-knowing. He's in total control. Then I need to somehow be okay with this reality of evil. And yet understanding it, going through it, wrestling with it, I think will allow us to come to the key. The key is that I need to know God's truth, but even more so, I need to accept God's truth. Men, women, and children all need transformation of our hearts and minds. We need to journey beyond knowing that God's word says he's good, all-powerful, all-knowing, and in complete control, to acceptance, to even joy, to even celebration that he allows evil. Can you imagine such a thing? Well, this transformation is possible, and it's what's before us today. Let's ask for God's help on that. Father, this is impossible without you working in our hearts. If you don't make this truth clear to our hearts, it's uh, it's not going to be effective. Lord, if you're not speaking these words from your authority, it's not effective. And so we ask for a supernatural work of your mighty spirit this morning in ways even beyond what we've experienced, that you would teach our hearts, that you would transform our hearts and minds. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm kind of excited. The Lord works in mysterious ways, and we'll review this again. If you think back to two weeks ago, we ended the message with this idea that God allows evil, and we looked at the greatest example of how God allowed evil and then flipped it on its head, and that was with the Lord Jesus. And you remember we talked about the mystery and amazing truth that the Lord Jesus, perfect in every way, sinless in every way, 
was put to death in the most embarrassing, shameful, terrible, unjust way. And we ended with that and then went right into Easter. And were you encouraged last week? I was so encouraged. It was so wonderful to see your friends and our friends and our relatives and our neighbors and our coworkers, and to come and hear what I thought was just a powerful message. As Judy was telling me, it was a message that was so refreshing because it didn't just focus only on the crucifixion. It really talked about the victory of the resurrection, didn't it? Death, sin, and hell are defeated. That's our reality. We sit here today with defeated forces of evil. Now, we know that it's kind of like when you chop the head off a chicken. It, that chicken can run around for a while. Am I right, Tim? It can run around for a while. You can cut the head of a snake off, and that snake is still going to be flipping around, and the tail can hit you, and it can hurt. But understand this morning that evil is defeated. Evil is defeated. And if you're affected, you're affected by the corpse of evil. You still feel the effects. But here's what's amazing. That as we start to see the Lord transform our hearts and minds, we need to realize that it's okay that God allows evil. And then we need to go beyond that. Can you imagine this? We need to be excited, joyful, eager for God to use evil for his good. Can you imagine getting there? Well, that's where God would have us transform our hearts and minds. God works in mysterious ways. I was so excited that while we were tackling these, the Lord was working on the heart of our sister and friend, Karen Elliott. And uh, Karen, at the same time, was researching and studying a book that I think is going to be so helpful. So I want to take just a minute to tell you ladies that, that you're going to have an opportunity to continue to wrestle with this. And let me read what uh, Karen wrote about this opportunity. God allows disappointment, hurt, and pain into our lives. We feel we deserve better. We feel we deserve better and different than what's happening in our lives. We think if people only knew what I'm going through, how painful it is, how alone I feel. We sometimes conclude I can't be expected to forgive this, let alone get over this. It's just too much. God desires transformation in our hearts and attitudes so we can experience his joy, peace, and the ability to extend forgiveness. Sound familiar so far? Transformation. Transformation. Taking what God says, what we believe is true, and transforming our hearts and minds. Sounds impossible, right? Well, through my own experience, Karen writes, I'm able to say he can do this. He can do this. And so Karen has a book study over the book, It's Not Supposed to Be This Way, by Lisa Turkhurst. And this book study is going to start next Sunday night, 6.30 p.m., ladies. May 1st, 6.30 p.m. Even more, Karen's going to be in the fellowship hall in that corner by the, the black ministry table. Stop by and talk with her. Talk with her about this topic and let her know whether you're able to join this study. We think... As a church leadership, we think this is a huge opportunity to continue to see God work in your hearts and minds to transform us into thinking and acting the way he'd have us do. She'll be ordering the books this week, so make sure you let her know if you can attend. The Lord works in mysterious ways, and I'm excited about that opportunity. But as we continue this morning, 
We not only want to understand what we've kind of already highlighted. God is good. He's all-powerful. He's all-knowing. He's in complete control. He allows evil. Underline that in your notes. He allows evil. He doesn't create evil. He doesn't tempt to evil. He allows evil. And so today we want to get to the meat of what we're supposed to do with that. How are we part of God's work to take the evil in our lives and around us, flip it on its head, I'd say pile drive it while it's upside down, and be part of God using this evil to accomplish amazing good? And so that's what we'll dig into. We start with a little philosophy. Don't you love it? In my opinion, a lot of times philosophy is a fancy way of contemplating one's navel. But there are good philosophers that first look at God's holy word and then try and understand the uh, reason and the deeper thought on this. One of those philosophers is Tim Keller. You've heard us talk about his book, The Reality of God. This is a deeply philosophical book, but more importantly, it's a biblical book. And so there were two points that he brought out that I thought were particularly uh, impactful as to the philosophy of maybe why God would allow evil. And so as you can see in your notes, first of all, evil supports the existence of God. Evil supports the existence of God. Well, to look at this in two different ways, first of all, we need to look at a different worldview. We need to look at a worldview where God doesn't exist. Atheism, right? Look at this world of God doesn't exist. And when you believe that God doesn't exist, you've got a steep task to explain so many things, not the least of which is where did we come from? You could ask my chemistry students and they would tell you that matter is neither created nor destroyed. All the atoms, all the matter that you see has been in existence to some point. We know creation. But if you don't believe in God, you have to come up with these other theories and ideas of how did this all come about. And you know one of the most familiar. One of the most familiar is called natural selection. Natural selection, it's this idea that that through time, organisms were gradually changed to adapt and become more suited and, and in that process become different. I like the nickname, the survival of the fittest. The survival of the fittest. Now, those of you that are fit like me can appreciate that. No. Survival of the fittest. Interpret this for a minute. If God doesn't exist. If God doesn't exist, survival of the fittest says what? I can do whatever I need to do to survive and thrive. If I need to do whatever I can do to survive and thrive so that I can adapt and change and become more ready to carry on, then when I come into your house and start emptying your fridge and your cupboards, is that a problem? If God doesn't exist, is that an issue? No. If you try and stop me and I give you a good pop to the throat and you're on the ground in pain, is that a problem if God doesn't exist? Absolutely not. I am surviving. I am thriving by whatever means means necessary. We understand evil because we understand the goodness of God. We get that there needs to be justice because we know a just God. If you remove that, there's no basis for justice. There's no distinction between good and evil. 
We need a loving God, a good God, to contrast the evil that we see. Evil supports and gives evidence to the existence of a good God. Isn't that interesting? Evil differentiates between our true God and false gods. There are many false gods. One of the false gods is vengeful. He is just a raging temper tantrum waiting to happen. And the followers of this religion know that if they upset their God, at any moment he could unleash a torrent of torture. And that'd be fine. We know that is evil. Why? Because we have a loving God, a long-suffering God. We know that a husband and a wife need to treat one another with gentleness and love and long-suffering. Why? Because our true God is just long-suffering and loving. If he wasn't, then we wouldn't understand that there's a right way and a wrong way to treat our loved ones, to discipline our children. Are you following me on that? If God exists in his good, all-powerful, all-knowing, sovereign way, then that frames out and helps us to identify evil. There are gods of mythology, false gods, that practice pretty gross infidelity, pretty gross immorality. You read the book on Zeus, and eh, it's not pretty in his relationships with his wife, right? How do we know that it's wrong to be unfaithful to our wife or to our husband? Because we have a faithful, loving God. See where we're going with this? One of the points of evil is that it amplifies and magnifies God's awesome character. God's awesome character. And that's important. That's important. So one, evil supports the existence of a good God. Secondly, evil can be exploited by God to increase our gratitude and love. I have three stories for you. Are you ready? One, I spent the last week 48 hours without my wallet, not having a clue where it was. You ever been there? Oh, I interrupted Amy and her students taking their ACTs, and I'm looking on cabinets down in the youth room, and I'm, whew, that was Monday morning. Sunday... I was blissfully oblivious to the fact that it was missing. And by about Monday afternoon, I'm getting a little nervous. You ever been there? And I come home and I start tearing apart my closet. And behind my clothes rack, I found that the wallet had somehow fallen out. And I, I found it. Oh, relief. You'll laugh. But every time I pull this baby out, I'm like, ah, oh, my wallet. <laughs> Losing something makes you appreciate it more. Have you noticed that? Tim Keller, in his book, talks about a terrible nightmare he had. He had a nightmare where all of his wife and kids were murdered. But what would be the reality of waking up and realizing they're still alive? He said, I was so filled with love and appreciation for those kiddos and for my dear wife. He said, for weeks, I was just tickled pink that I got to be in their presence. Isn't that interesting? Think about the rough things that you go through. When you go through them, you have opportunity to appreciate and be grateful for those blessings. Have you ever been sick? So sick to where you're like, oh, I can't wait to feel normal. I've been there. You ever been there? And then you wake up like, oh, 
yes, I feel just normal. And it's like, oh, this is nice. That's a philosophical reality of evil. Evil will point out, evil will allow us to appreciate all of God's goodness. The last story is more serious. Christy has a friend. She talked with her yesterday, and her uh, adult daughter was wrestling with a benign tumor, but the tumor was as big as a cantaloupe, and it caused all kinds of health things. And even in removing it, she nearly died. But God brought her through it. What was interesting is that prior to that evil tumor, none of the siblings were talking to each other. They hadn't talked to each other for decades. Decades, 10 years, one decade. No discussion between brothers, sisters. But after this sister went through this, guess what happened? Hearts were softened. And this June, the family's going away for a three-day retreat with brother, sister, sister, mom, dad. Would that have happened without the evil of that tumor? Who knows? Don't overlook the reality that evil plays a role in our appreciating what's good and appreciating what's pleasant, and we can be thankful for that. Well, that was the appetizer. I hope you enjoyed it. Easy to digest, easy to eat. Let's get into the real potential here. Let's get into the unbelievable opportunity that sits before us this morning. One of those opportunities that if we just reach out and take this gift that God is offering this morning... There's unbelievable potential. You'll notice there's four big parts to this. You have an opportunity. You have a powerful chance to, by understanding evil, by being transformed in our mind and heart, by even embracing suffering, we have an opportunity for fullness of joy and glory to God in the highest. Are you ready for this? Again, I'd urge you to pray a simple prayer in your heart right now that the Lord would open up his word and open up your heart to allow you to understand the chance that you have right here. Powerful potential number one. Suffering should be embraced with joy. These aren't my words. Take a look at James 1, verse 2. James 1, verse 2 says, Count it all joy, brethren, When you fall into various trials, count it all joy. Is that a typo? What's going on here? Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. This is a commandment. This is God's mind on the topic. This isn't a maybe useful opinion. This is God's direction of how to view suffering in your life. When hard things come, God says, count it joy. Count it joy. Well, that's just one passage. Maybe we we don't understand the Greek quite well enough. Well, we better look at others. As you can see, you can look at Romans, the whole book, right? No, that's a typo. Add Romans 8. Add Romans 8 in your notes. And read through that entire chapter. It's a beautiful explanation that you can have unbelievable joy even as you address and come into trials and struggle. 1 Peter 4 is going to continue this. 1 Peter 4, turn there with me to verse 12 and 13. 
It's going to repeat this same message. Dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trials you're going through as if something strange were happening to you. That's verse 12. See verse 13. Instead, be very glad for these trials. Be very glad. For these trials make you partners with Christ in his suffering so that you'll have the wonderful joy of seeing his glory when it's revealed to all the world. Rejoice. Be joyful. Now that's a mind shift for me. Can you relate to that? If I hit my thumb with a hammer, rejoicing in that is not going to be my first impulse. When my friend doesn't treat me the way he should, joy is not going to be my natural first impulse. But that's what God's saying here. Be transformed in your heart and mind so that you can get to those trials and you can count them as joy. He continues Romans 5. Romans 5, make a note of that. Similar theme here. Verse 3. When we rejoice, we can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials. For we know that they help us develop endurance. Now we're starting to get a little of the hint as to why we're supposed to rejoice. Are we supposed to be just thrilled that this garbage is happening to me? No. We're thrilled because of what God is wanting and what he's going to do with that suffering. Do you remember Hebrews that talks about looking to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is sat down at the right hand of God? The joy comes by looking at what God is going to do with that evil. The joy comes that if we are wise and discerning enough to lift our eyes and see the results of this evil, then we can find real joy. Then we can be excited about what's happening. We have to embrace this with joy. You experience this. You can find Noah in the gym many days, working his tail off, getting better at basketball. You can find athletes all over the world busting their tails to get stronger and to grow. One of the most painful, I'm being a little sarcastic, one of the most painful physical part of my life was after Christy and I ran 10 miles. Can you imagine such a thing? To give you an idea of how long ago, this was on Super Bowl Sunday when the Broncos, Hannah, beat the Panthers. That's how long ago this was. But we had just run 10 miles and I wanted to crawl into a hole and die. (laughs) But I was excited. Why was I excited? Because that was the last run on the program. And uh, on the program, Anita showed me couch to 5K. Remember that, Anita? Yeah. And then 5K to half marathon. That was the last run and we were ready. We were ready for the half marathon. And I was excited. I felt like garbage, but I was pumped. (laughs) We understand this idea. you got to go through the ringer so many times to get to the deliverance, to get to the result. If you're busting your tail at work, that's not fun. But if you're looking ahead to that promotion that you believe God is going to bring, okay, I'm excited about that. We understand this concept in life about looking past the tough stuff to get to the reward. That's all. That's what God is asking. 
It's going to say that's all he's asking. That's what God is asking. God is asking me to get over the focus and the misery and the self-pity of what I'm going through this very moment to lift my eyes and to be able to embrace with joy how he's going to use this. Now, does he always show you how he's going to use it? No. No. But you can believe, you can trust that your good, all-powerful, all-knowing, totally in control God will use this evil, will use this suffering to accomplish amazing things. Write something down on your notes to that effect. Lift your eyes, look ahead, trust, whatever it's going to be. The reality is, is that God is good, all-powerful, all-knowing, and in complete control. I have to transform my mind and heart so that I can get excited when I come into suffering. Is that ridiculous? No, that's God's law. That's God's work. I can count it all joy. Do you remember when the apostles were beaten shortly after Christ's resurrection in the book of Acts? They were beaten and they went away rejoicing, excited, because they were counted worthy to suffer for Christ. Do you think those guys were pumped about the the terrible lashes on their back? No. What were they excited about? God was working. He was using this suffering. He was going to do amazing things. And thankfully, they didn't have to wait long to see the Lord save hundreds and thousands of souls and to do amazing miracles and do all kinds of things. He wants to do that in your life. He wants me to lift my eyes and get excited about what he's going to do. Amanda went through a tough trial a ways back, and her mom and I were thankful to be with her on that side by side. And uh, she made some decisions that were extremely tough and yet felt fully assured that this is what God wanted to do. Those decisions meant pain. They meant disappointment. She made those decisions. And by God's grace, it didn't take years. We were able within a week to say, wow, okay, God, we understand. We understand why you were leading through that pain to get to deliverance. I hope you'll only have to wait a week. There's some deliverance that you're wrestling with, waiting for, that'll be years. Some of you are dealing with pain that I've never understood. Pain that isn't like my trials. Most of my trials, thankfully, have been pretty short. Pretty short. Some of you are dealing with the loss of loved ones, with uh, struggles physically that'll last probably until the day you you die, the day the Lord comes back to receive you, Right? I commend you, I encourage you, you're an example to me of continuing to count it all joy as you wrestle through those trials. God will bring deliverance. I promise you, God's word promised you, he has more opportunity for you than you can ever imagine. One of those opportunities is found in 2 Corinthians. Look there with me, chapter 1. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 gives us a very blunt example of why we suffer. Second Corinthians 1 verse 3 says, All, I wait, I always need you to give you more time to get to it, right? This is part B. Suffering can enable you to comfort others who are suffering. Suffering can enable you to comfort others who are suffering. All praise to God, verse 3 says, All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is our merciful Father and the source of all comfort. He comforts us in all our troubles. 
so that we can comfort others. When they are troubled, we'll be able to give them the same comfort God has given us. You suffer in part so that as God comforts you in your suffering, you'll be equipped to comfort others. And verse 5, for the more we suffer for Christ, the more God will shower us with his comfort through Christ. Even when we're weighed down with troubles, it's for your comfort and salvation. For when we ourselves are comforted, we will certainly comfort you. Now, we don't always let this comfort be felt. God is eager to give you comfort. He's eager to help you through these trials. I hold him at arm's length too much because I'm ticked that I'm going through this. Can you relate? But if I move the hand and allow God to comfort me, if I seek his face and receive that comfort, he's not only giving me incredible blessing, he's enabling me and empowering me to then turn around and comfort others. Why is Karen going to be so effective, ladies, in this discussion together? Because she suffered. God has comforted her. And now she's going to share her story. Why are you going to be able to be effective as you meet with other ladies on this? Because you've suffered and you've been comforted and now you can comfort others. Men, we better get on the ball. These ladies are way ahead of us. we got to figure out how we're going to band together and learn more about transformation for comfort. But the reality is, is that you would be ill-equipped to comfort your loved ones, your children, your brothers and sisters in Christ if you had not suffered. Praise the Lord. Let's be joyful about that. Let her see. This is a big one. Suffering allows us to mature in Christ. Suffering allows us to mature in Christ. Back to James 1. Back to James 1. And he lays this out nice and clearly. We, we looked at verse 2. Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. Verse 3, for you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow, for when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. When will that completion take place? When the Lord takes us home. But there's a progression. You can be more mature spiritually tomorrow than you are today. You can look back a year from now and say, whoa, I'm not the same person. The Lord has grown me. He's matured me. He's turned me into kind of a lukewarm, from a lukewarm Christian into a fiery servant that's ready, that's eager to serve him. This can happen. But I have bad news. It won't happen without the trials that you go through on a day-by-day basis. As we embrace those trials... We get ready for growth. Now, we understand this. Remember riding a bike? Remember learning to ride a bike? Several decades ago for some of you. I remember my grandpa was one on end of the driveway. My grandma was on the other. And they would start me off. And I'd pedal like crazy. And then my grandma would catch me. And then they'd get wider and wider. Well, one fateful day, I was cruising. And all of a sudden, I'm like, oh, stink. Into a bush. (laughs) A very prickly trial. Could I have learned to ride the bike without some falls? You can't. Are we terrified when our toddler trips and falls while he or she's learning to work? Sometimes, but usually we understand it's part of the gig. It's part of what they have to go through. Think about all the accomplishments God has helped you achieve. How many of them happened without failure leading up to that? John Maxwell has a pretty cool book. It's called Fail Forward. Fail Forward. Failure is pivotal. To our learning. 
But you know and I know failure stinks. There can be enormous suffering and pain with failure. And yet we need to fail forward. Others write books say fail fast. Fail fast. This is the idea that if you're going to make an omelet, you're going to have to break some eggs, right? And as you're learning something, as you're becoming proficient, you're going to screw up. You're going to miss it. You're going to drop the ball. But the quicker I can get through those failures, what does that failure give me opportunity to do? To learn, to grow, to progress. We get this. So why do we reject it when it comes to our spiritual lives? We know that we can't get better at athletics without missing multiple shots. So why do we fight it when it comes to the suffering and the trial? Well, we need that transformation. We need that connection between what we know and what we believe and live. May God give that to us. The maturity comes for Christians who embrace trials, embrace suffering, and allow God to flip those evils on their heads so that they bring you closer to him. Look at Philippians 3, one of my favorite passages. And even though I've loved it for years, I understand more and more what Paul is getting at here. Paul gives his spiritual pedigree. He talks about all that he had. He's the right family. He's the right uh, group. And then he gets to verse 7, and I love it. Verse 7, he says, I once once thought all these things were valuable. Philippians 3, verse 7. I once thought all these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, Everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I've discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. I want to know Christ. I want to experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that one way or another, I'll experience resurrection from the dead. Exciting words. All this temporal stuff is garbage. Let's seek to know God. Let's transcend to the calling of knowing and glorifying God. What's the bad news? That if I'm truly going to mature in Christ, it's going to be by knowing Christ in his suffering. Now what I love, help me, is that the book of Hebrews where it talks about Jesus Christ was tempted just as all you and just as I'm tempted all the time, but without sin. He went through every suffering you can imagine. He lost loved ones. He got hurt. He was betrayed. He was tortured. He went through every bit of suffering that you'll ever imagine going through when he was on earth. We can know him in those sufferings. And if we embrace those sufferings, asking God, okay, I'll be excited about this. You're going to bring me closer to yourself. Praise the Lord. Help me, Lord. Help me understand what's going on. Help me embrace what's going on. We can't have the full glory that God wants you to have without the suffering. Without the suffering. And so finally, we go to 
The part D, suffering allows us to share in Christ's glory. Romans 8, Romans 8, look there, verse 15. I'm glad we have some good time for this because this is, this is the meat of it. Romans 8, verse 15 through 23. So you've not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, You've received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba, Father, or Daddy. For his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. And since we are his children, we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. But if we are to share his glory, we must also share his suffering. Verse 18, yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will reveal to us later. For all creation is waiting eagerly for that future day when God will reveal who his children really are. Against its will, all creation was subjected to God's curse, but with eager hope. The creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. For we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. And we believers also groan, even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory, We long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. We too wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as his adopted children, including the new bodies he's promised us. There is unbelievable promise for those who are willing to embrace suffering to glorify God. 2 Corinthians 4, look there quickly with me. A short but important chapter, 2 Corinthians 4, starting in verse 1. Are you ready? Therefore, since God in his mercy has given us this new way, we never give up. We reject all shameful deeds and underhanded methods. We don't try to trick anyone or distort the word of God. We tell the truth before God, and all who are honest know this. If the good news we preach is hidden behind a veil, it's hidden only from people who are perishing. Satan, who is the God of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. They are unable to see the glorious light of the good news. They don't understand this message about the glory of Christ, who is the exact likeness of God. Verse 5, you see, we don't go around preaching about ourselves. We preach that Jesus Christ is Lord, and we ourselves are your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let there be light in the darkness has made this light shine in our hearts so we could know the glory of God that is seen in the face of Jesus Christ. We now have this light shining in our hearts, but we ourselves are like fragile clay jars containing this great treasure. You have those days feeling exceptionally fragile. This makes it clear that our great power is from God, not from ourselves. Verse eight, we are pressed on every side by troubles, but we are not crushed. We are perplexed, but not driven to despair. We are hunted down, but never abandoned by God. We get knocked down, but we are not destroyed. Through suffering, verse 10, through suffering, our bodies continue to share in the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be seen in our bodies. Yes, we live under constant danger of death because we serve Jesus so that the life of Jesus will be evident in our dying bodies. So we live in the face of death, but this has resulted in eternal life for you. But we continue to preach because we have the same kind of faith the psalmist had when he said, I believe in God, so I spoke. 
We know that God who raised the Lord Jesus will also raise us with Jesus and present us to himself together with you. All of this is for your benefit. And as God's grace reaches more and more people, there will be great thanksgiving and God will receive more and more glory. That is why we never give up. Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day. For our present troubles are small and won't last very long. Yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. So we don't look at the troubles we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. For the things we see now will soon be gone, but the things we cannot see will last forever. The suffering you're going through is a fraction compared to the glory you'll receive when you handle it right. Do you remember two weeks ago I suggested that this was 90 years of life and eternity was out the window down the street across the Wisconsin Bridge over to Keeler and past, right? Well, those trials are even shorter. When I embrace them in joy, seeking to honor God, the promise is that there is unbelievable joy and glory and reward waiting for you. Is it worth it? Are you ready to stop wallowing in the suffering, lift the eyes and say, yes, Lord, I'm excited about that glory. That's what he's asking. So much so that in 2 Timothy 3, verse 10, he says, bad news. Those who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Don't run from persecution. Don't run run from suffering. Don't ask for it, but when it arrives, embrace it. Asking for God to flip it on its head as soon as possible and get you to that joy. I'll close with, I think, one of the best examples. Acts chapter 7. Acts chapter 7. The first martyr. What was his name? Stephen. And in the last minutes of his life, minutes, he racked up eternal glory beyond understanding. He's before a hostile group of religious leaders. And he's preaching, and we break into the middle of his preaching here in verse 48 because it's enough to get the very clear picture of what's going on. And we read verse 48, however, Stephen says, the most high doesn't live in temples made by the human hands, as the prophet says, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Could you build me a temple as good as that? Asked the Lord. Could you build me such a resting place? Didn't my hands make both heaven and earth? 51, he really starts rolling. You stubborn people, you are heathen at heart and deaf to the truth. Must you forever resist the Holy Spirit? That's what your ancestors did, and so do you. Name one prophet your ancestors didn't persecute. They even killed the ones who predicted the coming of the righteous one, the Messiah, whom you betrayed and murdered. You deliberately disobeyed God's law, even though you received it from the hands of angels. The Jewish leaders were infuriated by Stephen's accusation. And they shook their fists at him in rage. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine the the fear, the embarrassment, the struggle? This huge group of people shaking their fists, yelling in your face. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God. And he saw Jesus standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. In the time of his biggest struggle, the most persecution, what was the reward even before he died? The reward was that he saw the glory of God like he had never seen, like he had never seen. 
and verse 56. And he told them, look, I see the heavens open and the son of man standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. Then they put their hands over their ears and began shouting. They rushed at him, dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. His accusers took off their coats and laid them at the feet of a young man named Saul. As they stoned him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. He fell to his knees, shouting, Lord, don't charge them in this sin. And with that, he died. In those last minutes of his life, he not only saw the glory of God on human form, but he entered into an eternity of reward and glory and intimacy and closeness with his Savior because he was going through that suffering. Because he was willing to take the the hard knocks that you're going to experience today and tomorrow and the next day and allow God to flip them on their head and say, God be the glory. You're getting closer to your Savior, people. You're getting closer to the Lord when we allow him to do that. It's worth it. It's time. Today is the day we embrace this truth in our hearts. We accept that God is good, all-knowing, all-powerful, and in control. We know that he allows evil. We accept that he's going to allow evil in my life so that I can race through it, work through it by God's strength, and that I can grow closer to my Savior. Are you wanting that? Are you ready for that? May he make it so in our lives. Father, we trust you. This wrestling match with this question gives us an opportunity, great God. It gives us an opportunity like never before to grow closer to you, to embrace your comfort, your love, your joy. Father, we just ask for your strength and your help and your reminders, Lord, to embrace these trials that come at us every day in joy and allow us to use them, Father, to obey you and and grow closer. Father, we have an eternity of glory. Stephen is only 2,000 years into an eternity of the glory because of how he handled those sufferings. We want that, Lord. We ask for your help in that. In Jesus' name, amen.